Welcome to another Macquarie Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. Tonight's message is called Peepo. Um, because the scripture we're going to read out, it's like Jesus is playing Peepo with us. It's like, now I'm here, now I'm not. And I'm worried about how you're going to go when I'm not here. And he, he says it a few times, now I'm here. Now I'm not. The interesting thing with little kids, it's one of the first games they ever learn, is people. They love it if they're safe. They love it if they know after you disappear that you're going to come back. And it's no good playing people in a way that scares them because it's, just, it's not good for their development. People helps them understand that everything's going to be all right. Um, and, and so it is a principle, God wants us to be okay and be able to experience him even though we can't see him. Isn't that interesting? So we've got our own game of spiritual people going on. Um, I'll, I'll read it in a sec. It finishes with this, and this is the most important thing. Take heart, I have overcome the world, Jesus said. Um, Jesus didn't stoop to use the world's power to overcome life, and neither should we. He didn't use fistfights, slanging matches, manipulations, turning the crowd being a false witness or lies or cash payments or spin doctor to win battles. In the temptation in the wilderness, one of his greatest battles, he called out the lie of the enemy. He used the word of God as a sword and as a shield and he believed in the Father's love for him. That's what got him through. So let me just read out tonight's passage of scripture. I'll read it fast because uh, it's a few verses. Um, Jesus, this is, sorry, John... Um, 16, 16 to 33. Jesus went on to say, in a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. Peepo. At this, some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean? In a little while, you'll see me no more. And after a little while, you will see me because I'm going to the Father. They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. So he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said in a little while you'll see me no more and then after that you will see me? Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but here's the difference, your grief turns to joy. Christian, the world's joy turns to grief, our grief turns to joy. Um, and he relates it to childbirth. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish. I remember <laughs> the birth of our first child. The pain Ros went through was unbelievable. <laughs> I nearly fainted, right? And then when they put the baby in her arms after the baby's born, after Beck's born, she goes, let's have another one. I'm like, you are kidding me. Did you see what just happened? So that, that scripture's true because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Great scripture. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive. Um, I'll just leave a bit out. Let's go to verse 27. The Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Wow. Let's go to verse 31. Do you now believe, Jesus replied, a time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered each to your own home. Now he kind of undoes them a bit, tries to show them, hey, 
You're not as strong as you think you are. You will leave me all alone. Yet, big word, yet, I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you, will, you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So we're going to just pick out four scriptures out of that section and do a, a little bit on each. What does he mean, you know, you see me, you won't see me. Let me just, I, I want to read it. You know the, the Emmaus Road? part with the disciples, Jesus appears to the two guys walking on the Emmaus road. Just let me show you what happens at the end of that because it relates to this so well. Um, so they've been talking with Jesus. They don't recognize him. It's gone on for a while. He's walked a fair way. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going to go farther without them. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it's nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. So what's the next thing that happens? And he disappeared from their midst. As soon as they recognized him, God, it's a bit like you have your prayer time at home. You can feel the presence of God. You think, I'm going to have a great day. By about 10 o'clock, something goes wrong. And you think, where are you? You were just there when we prayed and now I can't find you. And it's not that he's disappeared, it's more that, that we've moved away from him. Um, Jesus was worried about how they would initially suffer after his death, after his you know, loss, so to speak. It, it interests me this. He was preparing them for the same test that we have, not seeing him but still experiencing him. It interested me, I was, I was just meditating on this and reading a few you know, famous Bible teachers. It was interesting, Jesus, I haven't got time to take you through the scriptures, Jesus decided before he left heaven what he would do, how he would be, what his attitude would be, and how he would be till the end. It was an interesting decision in advance that protected him while, it was on, while he was on the earth. And I was thinking, have I made any decisions that are remotely like that? And I thought, yeah, the decision when I was a young Christian to learn how to pray every day, even though it took a fair while to break through, uh, has stood by me um, amazingly well. Uh, so there are some decisions you, you, you can make and set yourself for that will protect you going forward. Um, so that's what does he mean. Second scripture, verse 20 and 22. Your grief will turn to joy. And it goes on to say, no one can take away your joy. The cross can be such a stumbling block to people, but for the Christian, it's the victory and the joy. It's funny that Jesus often showed joy in the midst of extreme opposition. So here's the thing. It's possible to have joy before the answer comes where you've asked God to change your circumstances. What is it that allows you to have joy even though things aren't going so well? So I don't mean we're happy all the time. We have ups and downs. I get that. But you can get back to your joy in the midst of your suffering before the circumstance changes. What it is that enables you to do that is trust. That's the, bit, that's the component of your faith to work on if you're struggling with, with your circumstance. It's to get into God and trust that he does save the best wine to last. I remember when we were sorting out our relationship, our pastor said to us, um, 
Roz, if Mark isn't the right one, God's got someone better for you. I felt like saying, hey, watch it. <laughs> but it's true. And it'll be the same for me. If, if, if Roz isn't the one, God's got someone better for you. And it's true, you know, of your job, your house, <laughs> your career, almost everything in life, to trust that he has the best for you and to follow him in, into that. Um, interestingly, and I think this trips us all up, the disciples thought they were stronger than what they were because they're like, we're willing to die with you, man. We're not going to leave you, man. I bought a sword just in case, man. And the soldiers show up and they all disappear and he's on his own and they leave him. So he kind of warn, warns them about that. Um, can, can I just read this to you? Romans 11, it's just been leaping out to me day after day. It's just a little section. It's very sobering, but it helps. This is Romans eleven seventeen. If some of the branches have been broken off and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root or the vine, it's like you know, becoming a Christian, really. Do not consider yourself to be superior to other branches. If you do consider this, you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of their unbelief. And you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, talking about Israel, he will not spare you either. Consider, therefore, the kindness and the severity of God. Severity to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And if they, if they who have been cut off, do not persist in unbelief, they'll be grafted back in. There's hope for everyone. It's a sobering passage, eh? Mm. Anyway, just, I just wanted to read it to you. Good for your soul to hear that. Um, yeah, that'll do. Third thing, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. That's an awesome, awesome scripture. Provision, protection, help for those you love and the people you, you want to pray for. Yet I can, when I'm... Because I do more intercession now, I'm older and I've got more time. I do quite a lot. And the trick with intercession is it can take you a long way into being selfish. Help my family be okay, help my kids be okay, help the church be okay, bless the team, and do, 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 do. And everything you love, you start interceding for, and it just becomes me, mine, anything to do with me, bless it, protect it. And it's just, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, even Jesus, when he prayed a strong prayer of, can you help me get out of this? He goes, yet, and we see yet is in the passage tonight. Yet I am not alone for my Father is with me. Same yet, same Hebrew word, yet not my will but yours be done. So the intercession helps me, and I know it does make a difference, but sometimes I think he's already got it covered, but... It helps me feel like I've prayed for it. Then it's really important to do the yet part and go, yet, not my will's be, oh, not my will but yours. Oh, by the way, what is your will for me today? And then I'm outward looking and it all starts to change. It starts to shift. I start to be of use to him and available and it takes me out of that selfish space that, that some types of prayer can lead me into. 
But nevertheless, the central place of prayer in Jesus' teaching is really important. There's an advantage for us, and this is what he wanted to get across to the disciples. There's an advantage for you in me going back to be with the Father. You have an advocate with the Father. He intercedes for us. Uh, that's huge. That's huge. And that's what he's trying to get across. It seems, if you're a human, it seems like a dumb plan. You'd rather have me with you in person. Of course. But I'm going back to be with the Father and you'll be better off. And by the way, I've left the Holy Spirit to be with you. The advocate thing's really good. That, that's why I love scriptures that say, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll grant you the desires of your heart. Um, um, it's just in, interesting on this. Let me just, let me just take you there. Um, someone I was reading, I think it might have been Spurgeon, goes, the Father loves us too. <laughs> because sometimes, I was brought up Catholic, so it's a bit like, the Father's really cranky. He's really ticked off. But Jesus, you know, he did the whole cross thing and it stopped the Father's anger. There's truth in that. Hey, but the Father loves us. He gave up the Son. One guy said, you might want to even consider the angle that perhaps, he said, I don't really know, but perhaps the Father loves you more than Jesus because he gave up Jesus to rescue you. It's like, he preferred you over his son. Whoa. So I don't know if I can teach that or not, but whoa, it's a heck of an angle. And the father gave up an amazing amount for our sake. How bad is it then when things don't go our way and we get ticked off and accuse the father of not being there for us? Whoa. He gave up his son. He can't do any, anything deeper than that. Is, is that enough for you? If you think Jesus is mean to you, he laid down his life for you, is that enough? I'm preaching to myself. Sometimes I ask myself that question. Hey, hey, whoa, whoa. You're starting to get doubts because you don't think he's there. Was his death enough? I bring myself back to that and go, okay, it was. Let's, let's start there and we'll, and we'll go from there. Um. It explains in the scripture there, uh, the father loves us because we love his son because we're affected by the cross. We believe the father sent him. That's love. That is amazing grace. That sort of sums up amazing grace, really. Last thing. It says, in me you may have peace and take heart, I have overcome the world. Um, what's amazing about this scripture is it's just the best scripture against having anxiety and fear. Um, he goes, so don't let your heart be troubled. Really, it's like saying, so don't have anxiety. But we've all got it. Um, but that scripture, in me you may have peace. I did a study on that. It's like it's saying this. It has already been granted to you to have peace. It's there in the Prince of Peace, it's just one of the names of Jesus. It's there already for you. It's been fought for and won and presented and your enormous quotient of peace is there waiting for you. And it's by the word of God and Jesus and through the Holy Spirit that we can work our way into that peace when it seems to desert us. We lead ourselves back into the place where we can feel peaceful. Um, I, I just want to say that because I'll, I'll finish with this. this 
I prepared this for a leader's thing, and I've used it a few times. I always get so much feedback on how much it helps people. It's called Anxiety Opportunity uh, by Curtis Chang in America. It was a podcast. But he just teaches anxiety from, you know, how to deal with it from a different angle. He says, use the anxiety as a doorway to go through, especially when you feel overwhelmed. Um, Don't throw it out or hide from it. He said, he did this long study. In Mark's gospel, he says, in 27 of 29 times that people came to Jesus for help, um, 27 of the 29, they, were, they had anxiety. So it was like Jesus was confronted with people's anxiety all the time. He says, um, when it says in Ephesians 4, be anxious for nothing, it doesn't mean it's a sin when you have anxiety. Because even Paul said in Philippians 2, um, pray for me that I may have less anxiety. So... You know, he feels for us. And, you know, unbelief and pride and all that can, can lead to it. But anyway. But then he, he, he does a study on, on Matthew 6 and the Beatitudes. And he reckons a lot of the Beatitudes talk about your future. And it's like, if you do this, that won't happen to you. If you do this, you get this. And he does this whole thing that really helped me. He says, do not fear future loss. Leave your future alone. Live in the present how Jesus wants us to in the Beatitudes and the future will take care of itself. You can't control your future. And when you do, it leads to all sorts of difficulties. So don't structure life to avoid loss. And he teaches on loss. He says, loss is unavoidable. I'm 69. Crooked knees, crooked back, crooked shoulders, you know, and the list will keep growing. Some of those I overcome, but like progressive relinquishment, eh? It happens to us all. So loss is a part of the deal. Leave, oh, sorry, I've already did that. Um, don't structure life to avoid loss. Loss is unavoidable. We can become control freaks of other people when we're trying to resolve our own anxiety about our future. It destroys relationships. He says this. Resurrection only comes through the process of necessary loss. Mortality is a crucial concept we've got to come to terms with. Loss and grief are crucial in the process of winning in God. Um, he, he said grief is like, you know, the burning coal. You've, you've lost a loved one, so the worst, the worst sort of grief. You embrace the burning coal and it hurts. And the grief is actually what helps you process it and come through it. We, we have to learn to hold loss and be held in loss. He says this. This is the most important statement he makes. Loss is not catastrophic and grief is, and grief is bearable. I'll just use this analogy. Um, I, I have a younger brother, a fair bit younger than me, and an older sister. So she left home, you know, because she had to work. And I was the center of the home. It was great. Then my little brother comes along, and all of us, because babies... You know, they get all the attention, don't they? I was just forgotten about. Not really, but, you know, just norm, normal stuff. But I'm thinking, this isn't good. No one even notices I exist. I was really struggling. And one day he broke my space gun that I never played with and didn't even like. And I picked up the gun and I went crying to my mum and I said, he broke my space gun. It's like, this turkey broke my space gun. Woo! And she knew what was going on. So this is what she did. Because I, as a parent, would have gone, don't worry, don't worry. I'll buy you a new space gun. Everything will be all right. And that wouldn't have helped. She held me. She let me cry. She reassured me of her love. 
and I moved on, and she never got me a new space gun. Because guess what? I didn't, I didn't need one, and it wouldn't have made any difference. But what made the difference? The holding. Letting the tears out. Grief wasn't going to kill me, but it did need to be processed so I could come out the other side. And that's what, you know, sometimes in the losses of life, we've got to let Jesus hold us, have a good cry, and then keep moving on. That'll do. Um, and I'll just say this. <laughs> I had this big experience recently, beautiful experience. There's a guy in our church named Jeff Robbo who was the building advisor for our building team for a lot of years and terrific guy. He got saved in our youth group on the Central Coast and he got uh, really bad cancer and they gave him four weeks to live. I think he lasted about six. And at the start of that process, he rang me and he said, I, I've known you for a long time and I'm really afraid because I don't know what's going to happen. And, you know, I visited him a few times and we talked and we just sowed things. And what we arrived at together just in talking was, you know what, Jeff? He goes, what's it going to be like at the end? I said, Jesus will be standing in the room waiting for you. And I said, I don't think in a way that you actually die, you will let go of your body. And the Bible says in the twinkling of an eye, and the most common experiences I've had being with people when they're dying is that they see Jesus in the room reaching out. And it was my sister's experience. Um, uh, my niece had been with her overnight the day before she died, and I'd only had a little time with her, and she kept going like this. I said, what's she doing? She said, I, I don't know. And the next day, after she passed away, Simone says to me, you know what she was doing? She could see Jesus. She started saying his name and trying to reach out to get to him. Anyway, Jeff grabbed a hold of that. And I was with him towards the end. And the last time I saw him, he did have that gaunt look from cancer. I want to tell you, his face was glowing. And he had so much peace, more peace than I've ever seen anyone who was about to pass away. And he smiled at me. I couldn't smile because I was in grief, missing him already. But he smiled at me, and I will never, ever forget it. The difference between, you know, four weeks before and then two days before was stunning. One was fear, one was joy. He said, this has been the greatest week of my life. My mum said that the day before she died. She said, this has been the greatest day of my life. I still can't get my head around that, but something happens in God that gives you the victory over the loss, even the loss of your own life. And if he can do that, he can do help you overcome anything. When Ros had cancer recently, I was confronted with that. I thought, what if you take it? And the Holy Spirit says to me, do you believe you'll be all right? I said, no. <laughs> and he said, well, I want you to believe that I can get you through it. So it took me three days of kind of wrestling with God to get to the place where I thought, you know what, God? I believe you can get me through it. And it made a tremendous difference. So sometimes you've got to sit alone with God and work your own way through some of those things. You don't have to have the victory all in one go, but, but just to take a step closer towards Christ in it and think, I don't understand it, but I believe you can get me through it, whether it's my death or someone else's or the loss of a job or someone breaks your space gun <laughs> or smashes your car stuff like that eh? 
So Jesus, I thank you for these people. I ask you to bless them and give them reassurance. And it's right there in the passage we read tonight, all the reassurance we need. So I pray for peace in their hearts and you'll help them in their next lot of anxiety process it better than they've ever processed it before. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We hope you have enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit macroylifechurch.com.au.